morning. It is October 23rd. Welcome to Leather and Lemons episode 10. With me as morning. always, Liz Knox. Hi. And we're here to talk about scening. Because mm. after all the foundational work, every so often we have to at least throw something a little more fun in there. And it's about it's about time we can get to the good stuff, as it were. It's what a lot of people are probably waiting for. This one's like, okay, I know about vetting mm-hmm. already. Come on. <laughs> Let's get to the meat of what we do. Right. And how we do it. And I appreciate just very much a, there's a reason we get to the other stuff first, guys. So you don't have to do them over again before we get here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, forgive us if we harped it to death until we got this far. But you know, there are some (laughs) people where that was new. Um, That's very true. And that's the part that matters. That's very true. No, and it's, the the thing is you got to lay the foundation so that everybody's on the same page. Um, especially because we know our audience is not always the uh, most experienced folk. No, and they're not so. supposed to be. No, not at all. And I'm, you know, if someone who's got like 30 years experience picks something up for one of our episodes, okay. I'm all for it. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what sweet. I'm doing them for. It's for the people who are still learning or may not realize certain mm-hmm. things or like flags we listed in the last episode that some people are like oh crap i didn't know about that one <laughs> <laughs> i do those oops funny yeah accurate mm-hmm. no 100 percent, 100 percent. you know you reach that point where we are now where you know you've done your vetting you've done your negotiating you figured out someone isn't a complete schlep and you're like <laughs> i want this person to beat me or i want to beat them or whatever the particulars are and then you get to where we are now, which is scening. <laughs> mm-hmm. And whether it's 20 minutes, 45 minutes. I mean, I think that's something we'll break down in individual play episodes or whatnot, where it's more specific. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, an hour of spanking is not the same as an hour of fairy cupping. <laughs> hour of spanking is a lot. Exactly. An hour of Jesus, that's is mild just because of the amount of time it takes to get the work done. Well, like I'm kind, of, I'm kind of laughing because, like, <laughs> I'm thinking like, pink can be an endurance sport. It most assuredly can, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and I think my my longest scenes involving knife play were like an hour, hour and a half tops, and even those were mm-hmm. mostly sensation play until the very end. As a result, because you can only go so far once you start cutting. Uh, <laughs> Unlike needle play, where that takes so much longer because of the setup involved and individual pieces. and mm-hmm. But no, an hour of spanking is absolutely a, a marathon run for both of you. That's not just for the bottom, but for your hand. <laughs> right? That's what I was thinking. I'm like, good Christ. That's how you... Well, I have damaged my hand spanking, so... Mm-hmm. I have to. And yeah. thrown out a shoulder. It's been a minute, but I have. Yeah. <laughs> no Sports joke. injuries, man. It is, though. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad that's over with. Uh, back in the day <laughs> when I didn't have technique. <laughs> right? that, that is a part of it. It is, though. Well, it's well so let's talk about scening. Let's Absolutely. get into it. Let's get into it. How do you start your scenes? It largely depends on who I'm with. Um, 
obviously pick up or at a club is an entirely different affair than in your own private space or specifically in your own private That's space true. with an intimate partner. And all three of those can be very, very different. Um, I find that anything in private space as a leather person tend to be very similar for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's different and everybody has their preferences based on who they're dealing with. But for me, it's more about public versus private, if that makes sense. Because in private, that I will often have rituals that go with, you know, you will enter and kneel and such and such, raise for inspection. And some of it will be more practiced than others. And obviously someone who I'm dealing with new or for the first time, I don't expect them to have everything memorized or snap at a finger. Like, that's ridiculous. And I would never mm -hmm. expect that. Same with someone to pick up play in the public setting. I don't expect them to know nothing. <laughs> right. Not enough for that. Although there have been exceptions like demos where it's more about the show than it is about the play. But that usually gets into negotiation anyway. Because I have more than once actually negotiated a demo where are you familiar with such and such pose or such and such method? And well, then when mm -hmm. I do this, we can do it that way. And it makes it all look prettier. So it's a much better display. But That's obviously true. isn't as practical in a good old-fashioned, like, down and dirty. <laughs> I like that, down and dirty. Get dirty! Well, the difference between a scene that looks pretty for others versus just breaking out the knife and cutting skin. I mean, I'm down for a little CNC. I mean, I am too, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a hard limit for me. Generally speaking, in a public setting, I may not be allowed <clears throat> to come back if I do that, though. So... <laughs> That's true. It's very relative to where. <laughs> you have to properly warn those around you. <laughs> yes. And I have actually been to a couple of those events. Um, mm -hmm. I was in one in Minnesota not long before I actually went to California and back. Uh, one of the last major events I'd actually been to. And it was discussed beforehand by several individuals and consent was requested by everybody who attended. Because there mm -hmm. would be like voluntary participants involved in what was effectively a CNC in public style role play. And they made sure that everyone attended was consensual before they went ahead and were planning to do this. So kudos on them for covering all the bases. And it wasn't with anyone random. It was with someone who had already negotiated, etc. But as a result, you're all having discussion and prep and it was a potluck and people are eating. And all of a sudden you just see someone chase after someone else with a knife into the dungeon space. It's mm -hmm. like, ooh, so the festivities have begun. <laughs> it was amazing to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to their credit, they held on for a good half hour before they started it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Right? Like, they held on to them, their patience for just a little while to get the juices flowing for everybody to wonder when it was going to happen. But yeah, the the spaces I use in private are very different from the ones in public. So, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Well, and I think they should be, right? Because private play to me is far more intimate, usually. Oh, most assuredly. Most right? assuredly. So, so I do think, you know, that changes things. I would almost think it should. I mean... You know, to everybody, they're different. Like, I know solo poly people who treat every partner about the same, no matter 
public or private, just because that's the way they particularly live their lifestyle at the moment. And mm-hmm. that's obviously a little different, but they tend to be a lot less intimate in general with individual people. So yeah. for them, it's whether it's public or private, everybody's at a certain distance because that's mm-hmm. the choices they've made. But I have absolutely had private partners that are very, very different from what happens in a public space just because that's the point or what mm-hmm. I prefer. So let me ask you this. And I mean, obviously I know the answer to this, but um, <laughs> so how, how do you structure your scenes? So like, you know, you get to the point where you're like, Hey friend, I want to play with you. I want to do really awful, awful perverted <laughs> things with you. I find you like how... love. You're particularly <laughs> interesting. We strike a conversation. I would love to beat the hell out of you. Yeah. I... I'm trying not to sound like a serial killer, but can I do these depraved things to your flesh? Right. So, but no. So once once you get a willing participant and you decide, yeah, we're going to do this. How do you how do you structure your scene? Like, where do you go from there? You have kind of like a, a format you tend to follow. Um, it depends largely on the type of scene. Actually, uh, it also okay. depends on play space. Private spaces, I have not always had the luxury of all the tools and spanking horses and crosses. So, you know, that does have a tremendous effect on what you can and can't do, obviously. Sure. Uh, not because other furniture doesn't work, and anybody who's ever worked on a budget understands the concept of using whatever comes <laughs> to hand, no pun intended, or any surface you can bend someone over, for that matter. Yep. Take that as you see fit. Not my problem. Uh, <laughs> but. But no, um, usually in public spaces, it's a little more formal, ironically, both because it's less intimate and Mm -hmm. because it's more displayed. Um, That's a personal thing where maybe it's because of my love of roots, but I always think in terms of in a public space, the way I carry, the way I present, etc. To a point, not always. Like, I still am me. And I'm never going to let that be sugar-coated for the sake of anybody in a public space, because what's the point? But someone I've, you know, I've met, they're interesting, we sit down, we negotiate, we vet. They've decided I'm not a complete serial killer. I've decided they're not a complete psycho stage four clinger that's going to meet me outside afterwards. Uh, <laughs> often it will be, you know, we'll, we'll set up, depends on the place, but often it'll be a setup either impromptu or, you know, on schedule if there is one. Mm-hmm. Which I still find it weird to have schedules and not schedules depending on the space. But it it largely depends on the play type, but I usually prefer tables. Um, even mm-hmm. for spanking, actually, I prefer tables over horses. Go figure. I know there's people that have preferences for both, but... Uh, Warm-up is, of course, important. Uh, yeah. I find it more important with anything physical. And I say anything mm-hmm. physical other than, like, knife play is a little different because you don't really need a warm-up in the same sense. Uh, That's true. But needle play even, I'll, anything physically impactful. Uh, and I do consider needles in that only because needles affect the skin a little differently than knife play does. Mm-hmm. Because the, the whole point of needle play is breaking skin from the very get-go. It, it's not a sensation play in the same sense. Uh, but anything in that family of categories, spanking, impact, heavy body play, uh, I will usually warm up, ironically, not barehanded. (laughs) 
And that's a that's a personal thing because I I worked with my hands in concrete and drywall for a living in my twenties, so my hands actually tend to hit heavier than most. And say so you feel like yeah you hit like a cinder block. You got it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I'm much more careful with how much power I use. So frequently, because <laughs> you have to be. Load. Yes. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's ever partnered with me can attest to the fact that I use my hands. Often middle and last, not first. Hmm. Um, That's fair. Depending on who I'm with. Um, I found that I have a stronger sense of control in my, I won't say old age, but you know what I mean. Um, hmm. But I have a bit more control now, so it's a little different. Because I can have a, a gentle warm up with my hands, depending on what I'm doing. But even okay. with that, heavy body play usually involves implements first. Uh that's mostly to season the meat, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> Gotta get you tender. Mm-hmm. I won't do that with my hands, because that's entirely too easy to just be like, well, I'll just keep going. But, and that does happen in private spaces sometimes, because, you know, frenzy happens. Uh, but in a public space, I'll be a bit more grab crops, grab straps, whatever. Just because it makes it easier to warm up and more importantly it warms up in a way people can see Mm -hmm. because obviously with your hands you can't visually see the difference in the sense of control the same way until it starts getting heavy enough to have an impact on the subject otherwise you're just hearing you know flesh on flesh and that only goes so far unless you're in a whole different experience but for implements on skin you know you Mm -hmm. can usually tell the difference in impact pretty quickly You know, follow that with warm up into, you know, full on whatever you're doing at that point. You're beating on someone, you're you're cutting them up, you're you're sticking them in a dozen needles, whatever it may be. Uh, obviously, that's when you really start paying attention to what you're doing with them, how they are checking in, making sure they're OK. And usually I will do that beforehand, even in the middle of warm-up, but not automatically, mm-hmm. because if you're red-lighting at warm-up, I've either done something horribly wrong or you're sensitive in a way you didn't tell me. I, I find a lot of times that's more that it's their emotional state going into it than it is actual physical hurt. No, right? absolutely. Yeah. But I'll still absolutely, like, I think people find it amusing considering... I am as vicious as I can be on play Mm -hmm. and as hard as I play, I will absolutely call a scene in seconds. Oh yeah. Um, And I've always been that way. I've never been, Oh, we can go. Okay. I'm not worried about it. Mm -hmm. I'm the person who will call it even in the first five minutes. If it's clear, there's something not quite right. Like, okay, what did I miss? Or what did you not tell me? And it's not that I'll be mad. It's that I need to know what's going on. So that we can mm-hmm. proceed safely or stop proceeding regardless if there's an actual problem that either you didn't even realize or, you know, maybe you're, maybe your mother's passing away 10 years ago suddenly affected you as I'm starting to spank you or whatever the case may be. I, I It sounds silly, but I've actually seen that happen to someone. Mm-hmm. And so calling scenes still matters because obviously there is a problem. Yeah. And those are, you know... This goes back to that whole why I talk about tops being so res- – why responsibility matters so heavily, regardless of the kind of top or D-type you are. 
because it is your job to see those things. You know, absolutely. You can't always guarantee when you go under as a bottom that you're always a hundred percent every time because things do happen. It goes back to real life happens. People are mm -hmm. people, and maybe everything was hunky dory, but in the time it took you to to get down, dirty, set, you know, assume the position, you've had something hit you dramatically. Yeah. And it does happen. And there's nothing wrong with that happening, because obviously you didn't exactly plan for it. But it's up to the other person to recognize that there's something wrong and stop from making it worse. Because there's no version of that where I could see that not going worse if you don't at least check in. And that's the key part of it, is checking in. Like, are you okay? Is everything alright? Is there something that you know, is bothering you now that wasn't before, something seems to be off, what's going on? Or even as simple as, is everything okay and getting a yes? Because it doesn't have to be a problem. But that's why you check in anyway. Maybe they're not particularly vocal at first. Um, and I've had my share of very non-vocal bottoms. Well, my thought, too, is sometimes they don't feel empowered to be vocal because they're so worried about disappointing their top, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the other double-edged sword about that that's unfortunate. It is, and I don't know how many times I've told more than one where it's like, it's okay if you communicate with me during this. It's not going to upset me. But they can't help yeah. themselves. And I get it. Mm -hmm. I do. Well, we've all been there. You don't want to disappoint the person who's being willing to play with you. Right. You know? So, Absolutely. Well, and even they don't understand that it actually builds trust when they do call it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, check-in matters even when it's something harmless because it's about checking in with each other. It's not about breaking scene. Right. But I'm not afraid to break scene, even in the middle of a great demo. If there's something wrong, something's wrong. And Absolutely. Important. It's like, sorry, guys, but... give us five. I mean... Well, and, that's, and that's the thing is I don't... There's a lot of times... It, it comes from experience and from volunteering. So if, if you don't volunteer and you're only playing at a dungeon, you know, you're using the play space to show up and play and have a good time because it's your date night, whatever. Um, you may not pick up on it as much. But for people that engage in demos and classes and stuff, I will say a lot of that, it's different. Um, it does. There's a different adrenaline associated with stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And so... I've, I've had bottoms that will ignore their body and push because they're like, no, you were teaching something. And instead of like letting you know, like, hey, that's a limit or hey, you know, I'm kind of I'm hitting yellow. You know, can you hit it in a different spot they're, They'll just like suffer through it. And then you get done with the class and you're like, how are you doing? They're like, oh, God, that was awful. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and you're like, why didn't you say something? You know, because it's also a great teaching point for others to to show you don't have to just suffer through it. You know, let me know you're miserable. Let me know you're not having a great time. Like, oh God, please. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, we want to know. Please tell but, me something's wrong so I can adjust as necessary. I mean, yeah. But, but I say that because there are times that, you know, like in my own personal experience. Now I'm I'm in the dungeon quite regularly, and so there's there's times that I'm playing, and then there's times I'm doing demos, and. You know, if, if you're not sure what it, that looks like, you may not understand what you're seeing. Right. And so I would much rather have somebody, you know, say, hey, Knox, 
you know, I need a minute. This isn't feeling right. Or, hey, Knox, can we adjust this? Because I don't want other people to see somebody suffering like that and think that that's normal or that that's okay. Right. Yeah, I, I, that's actually one of my pet peeves. It's like, no, say something. You know, let me, because I, you know, even if it's a demo, I still want you to have fun. Like, you're not just a punching bag. Well, I think it's important for people to see that on the other side of it, too, because I think tops need mm -hmm. to see when you stop like that in the middle of a demo or something publicly obvious. Right. Because they need to see that it's perfectly all right to not care that there's eyes on you. Because mm -hmm. I absolutely, I have done in a full crowded scene at a Black Lotus show where I've had the knife in and it's digging into somebody's skin and clearly there was something wrong. And the right. immediate... Okay, we're done here for a minute. Yeah, it didn't matter. Address what's going on. Saying it or not, it's like okay, we need to shore up what's going on. It's like, sorry guys, give me about ten to fifteen minutes. We may not return. You got to reset. Yeah, yep. I don't know. And you mm -hmm. know, some people get upset, but oh well. That's yeah, not but I'm not going to compromise the person I'm playing with. You yeah, got it. that is not the priority at that point. I don't care what you think of me. I care about the person I'm playing with, because. They're the one I've negotiated with, agreed to things with, and I'm now responsible for, for the length of time I am responsible at the top, which is pretty much from beginning to end as far as I'm concerned. And that means for the time oh, exactly. you've agreed to anything, as far as, now that's just a personal thing and everybody's negotiations are different, obviously, in perspectives. But I consider myself responsible for the time we agree to a scene, have sat down, negotiated, and all of that consented to. From the time we've mm -hmm. actually agreed to start till I follow up with aftercare. Right. Follow up post aftercare. I am responsible as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. That Absolutely. That's the way I operate. Absolutely. And there's people that think that's a little, you know, well, I really didn't need that much. No, you probably didn't. But you know what? In the event that you do, I'm going to make sure. At least you know it's here. Yep. Exactly. Because you don't know when it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks until it's too late. And yeah, none of us want that moment. None of us want that moment. Oh, God, happen. no. That's what we plan against. Because no, it doesn't happen that often. But that's kind of the point. You don't want it to. But you want it to so, be prepared when it does. Well, so that brings up the other point for you personally. So when, when a scene goes sideways like that, and the both of you decide, no, we're, we're going to keep playing, we're going to re-engage, how, how do you recenter your bottom? And reassure them so that they can get back in the mindset of playing or get back. It's largely part of the reason that it, why I'm different between public and private spaces. Because nine times out of ten in a private space, it's with a regular partner, an intimate partner, um, a submissive. Someone where mm -hmm. I've had work time in with them in the first place. Where you can physically or mentally bring them back into that space with touch, comments, commands. Because that's obviously a little different because you've had time and work with each other. Mm -hmm. um, in a public space, obviously, that's a little different, especially with someone you're not as familiar with each other because they're not going to respond to you the same way. You don't f have the same familiarity with each other yet. But, you know, you've already negotiated the idea of putting hands on each other and doing things with each other. So there's that immediate, hey, are you okay? Let's bring this back. And you do start into... You know, you get them back into place, and I will start with warm-up all over again, even if that means we extend things. And I will talk about mm -hmm. that, like, this is probably going to need some more warm-up to put you back into space, 
where you want to be. Are you okay with that? Do you want to extend? Mm -hmm. Are you all right with it being longer? Did you have plans for something else? Which the couple of times it's ever actually been interrupted like that where it would matter. No one's ever said, no, let's stop. Uh, (laughs) Right. But that's because you're making the extra effort to make sure they do get back into place. And I think that matters too. Yeah, I think I, I, you and I approach it very much the same. Because I, I tend to do that. It's because to me, whenever there's, I'll say a timeout, so to speak, you do have to reclaim some of that headspace. Yeah. Even no, as a top. Do. Even, even as a top, you have to kind of get back into it. Because it's, I find that when something has gone slightly awry, I have to like recenter, readdress something. And it's not just a, hey, not that spot, hit me here instead. Right. Um, I tend to be so hyper-focused on the bottom that it will actually break my headspace because I, I have to make sure they're okay first oh, before absolutely. I can ease back into it. Same. Right? No. And I'm okay with being that way because I would rather it oh, yeah. break my headspace so I can attend to what's needed. Mm-hmm. Totally. Because, again, sometimes oh, totally. it's mild, but sometimes it's traumatic or harsh. Mm-hmm. And I don't have time in that moment if it really is harsh. Like, you hit them the wrong way and it reminded them they're alcoholic father or something equally <laughs> ridiculous sounding but it can happen totally you happens know, you don't know they're especially in a public space with someone you barely know you've only just started your mm-hmm. first scene together even if you've done through all the vetting and talked everything out they may have a part of their story that you've never experienced yet or they haven't even expected to come out i was gonna say i think a lot of those that happen like that it's because they didn't know it was a trigger themselves so it's not like they didn't tell you they truly didn't know if they knew something and they didn't say something Uh that's obviously a little different but no more often than not they don't realize it either because they don't have any experience to gauge by but you still have to be prepped for it so i would see and i've had i've had that happen oh really okay yeah no i i've had that happen um i was bottoming for someone back when i did (laughs) and um i still do bottom occasionally it's just not as often as it used to be but um yeah we were playing and i this is gonna sound funny so smell is a very powerful motivator for most people and most of your memories are linked to your olfactory senses like we that's that's fairly common so but i knew at the time before we started playing this person smelled really good they were comforting they had a good good energy um i was attracted to them so it was like yeah this this is somebody i want to play with this could be fun and his warm-up was to start with spanking and we were gonna do we were actually gonna do some rope and i had asked for some spanking and stuff like that up front to get into my headspace so once that started we're doing the spanking things are going good start moving into doing rope and while he was tying me it dawned on me why he smelled good the arousal was completely separate but the i was like i know what cologne he's wearing and it's what my father wears and i was like i can't do this no totally. i can't fucking do this and i was like and so i i told him like hey we need to stop and i was like what what cologne or aftershave are you wearing and he confirmed it and i was like so I strongly associate that with my dad, and I cannot slip into sexy time space in my head because you smell like my father. How much I would love it to. <laughs> no, there, there was no coming that. back from that. And they got, and he laughed. He was like, he's like, this is the weirdest way I've had to end a scene, but I get it. And I was like, I would absolutely be willing to play with you again, provided you don't wear cologne. <laughs> and he was like, that totally one. understand. 
I'll see you next weekend. <laughs> you know, we recovered. You know, it, we're still friends. We're friendly. He's on my fat life. And uh, about it now. But it's kind of, it's something that's come up when we've done classes. Like, hey, this experience happened. And I never name him. I let him out himself on that one. That's fair. But, <laughs> you know, but I've, also, I've had other times where um, I was playing with somebody and they were triggered by the implement, not so much me. And they I, didn't I, realize I, Right. And so kind of the same thing. You have to reacquire within the scene, like, okay, that toy's off the table. Not a problem at all. No. Um, do you want to keep going? And and I let you know, but I've also changed now before a scene starts because of those landmines that have happened. Um, I change things where I now actually have it to where I'll I'll have the bottom look at my toy bag and pick out the things that you're actually interested in, leave the things that you're not. No, that makes sense. And that way I see I get to see what they gravitate towards like organically within themselves. Right. And then if there's a toy I really want to use that I know fits within the profile of the other toys that they've picked out, I'll I'll take the toy out and explain to them why I like using it and why I think it fits and let them make the decision then. Um and then that way the only toys that are even out of my toy bag are the ones that I know have been approved to use. And that way I'm not gonna grab something by accident or I'm not gonna I'm not going to grab something that they were vehemently opposed to or, right. you know, uh, most of my, well, exactly. And being a leather folk, most of my toys are leather or metal. Mm-hmm. And I do play with some people that that's a problem. So I do have a couple of vegan floggers. I do have a couple of, you know, vegan friendly toys. Um, and that way, you know, and it never fails. I always gravitate, you know, I'll know the person's vegan and they're like, oh yeah, I like this flogger, this, this, and this. And I'm like, so you do understand all of those are cow. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. No, but that's, like, you know, and it's, because it's absolutely like, don't get caught up in the moment. Like really look at what you're doing. Are you actually okay with me using these things? Because I know that you're vegan. All of your toys are vegan friendly and you grabbed all of my floggers that are bison or you grabbed my deer floggers. Like, are you sure about that? You know, and and I make them verbalize it to me. Yes, I am okay with that. Or no, no, I'm not. Well, no, you have to because God forbid, like, you know, and I could see it happening where if nobody thinks to say anything about it and they realize Mm -hmm. after the scene's over and it goes from what have been a wonderful scene to a traumatic experience on some level (laughs) for them through no one's fault, but it can happen. No. So I've seen bottoms get so caught up in the moment, like, oh my God, I'm going to see this is so great. No, you can use all that. It's fine. It's totally fine. And you're like, no, no, it's not. And no, I know it's not. We're going through this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is all the stuff we do to get to the good stuff without interruption. We're doing it now. I'm sorry. It means exactly. just a little longer to strap down, but I assure you it's worth the wait. Because mm-hmm. this is less issues later, no matter how minor or insignificant. Never mind. Um, that's actually brings up a question I wanted to ask anyway, because I've had this happen to me. Um, where have you ever had someone show or point out implements that they think they'd like that are completely nothing like what they said they think they like? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, my inner state is giggles every fucking time. Oh, yes. <laughs> because I'm always like, are you sure? No, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I really want you to use this one. Looks really cool. I'm curious about it. <laughs> okay. And, I'll, and usually I will warn them. I'll be like, listen, I already know that you're not, you're not going to like this. And, I, and, and I'll do like a tester hit with them, you know, to, to show them, hey, here's, here's what it feels like. And this is what sometimes actually like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. 
<laughs> right. I'll never hit them full force. Right. You know, at that point. No. Because it'll be like, hey, let, let me, because dragon tongues are a great example, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not a whip. <laughs> that's always my favorite. Yeah, that doesn't look like a whip. I'm okay with that one. But you oh, just said you don't whip. like whipping. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I don't like whips, but that, that actually looks pretty cool. I think I'll be okay with that one. <laughs> so let me show you what this feels like before we get into stuff. Because I don't think you understand what a dragon tail is or a dragon tongue, you know? Right. And then you hit them with it and they're like, oh shit, that's a whip. Well, yes, that's what I was trying to explain to you. But that's why I warned you. Know. you and this is why we test. Exactly. See, and I've had both that and the opposite where I've had someone who, uh, ironically, also was back in Minnesota. But uh, <laughs> there was actually a guy I was talking to, and we didn't end up doing any kind of scening, scening, but. We were talking, and he mentioned how much he liked thuddy implements. But he walked over to okay. one of these stingy little canes, and he's like, that looks interesting. I'm like, you do realize that's mm. not thuddy in the slightest, right? <laughs> stingy as hell. Mm -hmm. And nothing like what you th said you were more comfortable with. He's like, yeah, I know, but I've never <laughs> had one. I'm like, well, you know, I can flip you on the okay. real quick if you want, and I'll do it gently enough that you have a gauge without hurting you. As long as you're okay with that. Right. He said, yeah, sure, please. And I gave him just <laughs> one little, you know, tink. And he was like, oh, my God. I need to do more of this. <laughs> oh. I'm like, oh. oh, well, it sounds like you have a whole journey ahead of you then. <laughs> it doesn't happen as often, but it's glorious when it does. I, so my one of my current submissives, I actually just went through that. And it was with whips. That's why it was so oh, fresh nice. in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he likes thuddy. And he's he's always like and he likes heavy thud. Like I, I have I one flogger that's easily ten pounds. And it's the feeling he likes. He likes that deep reverberation, that deep thud, you know, the the bone jarring type hits. That's what he really enjoys, gets him into subspace. Okay. And now he knows that I like whips. And that I've really here lately started getting into whips more and more. So as a, I'll call it a gift to me. He picked it out one day. I've got a really beautiful kangaroo whip that I, that was made for me. And he picked it out one day. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I know you like this. And I'm like, yeah, but I know you don't. And he's like, I know, but I'm going to try it. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, you know, just, just, let's just do a couple hits and see how I react. I'm like, all right. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you asked for it. Like, and he's, it's not like he's an inexperienced player by any stretch. He, he was very fully aware, you know, what he was asking for. He, he knew. And I warmed him up first. I didn't just cold hit him with a whip. We did a warm up, did a normal scene like he and I normally do. So it was, it was probably a good five, 10 minutes of flogging. And I worked up into the heavy flogger that I know he likes. I didn't just start out with that one. I, I have probably about five floggers that I'll cycle through as part of my warm-up with someone. That's fair. Yeah, and, that's, and I kind of do it that way. And I, and I ramp up. They, each of them ramp into intensity. And because I know the whip is stingy, I actually had used some of my stingier floggers that he doesn't like to start getting him in the mindset to accept that kind of pain. Okay. And... I saved the heavy floggers that I know he really likes for the end because I wanted that to be the reward for dealing with the whipping. So 
I also lay my, my OCD. I lay my floggers out in the order I'm going to use them. No, I can appreciate so, that, though. Visually, he knew what was coming as well, because he also helps me. Help. He knew he knew what we, he was in for. You know what stage we're in. <laughs> exactly. And I have a way of dragging the flogger across the skin, so kind of like a, hey, we're transitioning, you know, oh, depending on what's going on. Yeah. So I throw the flogging, got to the stingy flogging, and he was already cussing me a little bit, which I'm fine with. <laughs> like, that's not a red. Call me a bitch. Um, and It's encouraging. Keep going. It, but it is. Like, you're just fueling my fire. It's cool. So I stepped back, and, and I told him. Now I'm getting the whip out. And he's like, okay. I was like, are you ready for it? And he's like, yes, I think I am. Well, we about to find out. <laughs> so I hit him a couple of times with it. You know, really nice, solid pops. I did about three and stopped. And I was like, how are we doing? And he's like, I could handle a little bit more. I'm like, but do you want it? And he's like, no, I don't like it, but I could handle a couple more. Okay. okay. I know with he and I that that's a go. Okay. So step back, and I probably hit him, I think, five more times before I coiled it up, set it down, and my hands over his skin, make sure we're all good. Right. And then I got, I started with the flogging from the beginning all over again and ramped up to the one that I know was his favorite. All in all, this was probably a 45 to 50 minute scene just in oh. that section. It was not fast by any stretch. No. Um, and he's also the type that his skin doesn't immediately react. So he had beautiful whip marks, but his skin was otherwise not really even red because it just dissipates on his skin. He's, he's that well hydrated. So he gets a little red, but he doesn't get, you know, those, those big red blotches like you see from a lot of flogging. Right. And so we get done and I was like, so what did you think about the whip? And he's like, I'm actually on the fence about that one. And I was like, you're serious. This has always been a, a huge limit for you. And he's like, I know that you like it. And I'm like, I get it. From a submissive standpoint, I get you're trying to be of service to me. And let me do something that you know that I enjoy, even if you don't. But I was like, I really don't want to use stuff on you that I know you just hate. Right. Like it, that sucks. That sucks for everybody. Now, I will be damned if that whip is not a part of our normal play. No, but he still doesn't like it. He's still, and it's funny, he still doesn't like it, but we're finding it's the one thing that snaps him into subspace. I could see that, like, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it instantly pops him into a sense of subspace, and it works. And then, you know, he can actually relax into it and, and get into space faster. And so then when I reward him with the, the heavier flogger, he also has learned that that means that I'm, I'm happy with how things went and that we're calming down. We're, we're like ramping down with the heavier hits. Okay. And then I start, you know, with, and I finish with one of my really light floggers. That's a, like a deer skin flogger. So it's really yeah. soft. And uh, he said, he said, it's funny because like, while he's in the middle of being whipped, you know, you, you have that moment of, you know, God, will this ever end? And then the other flogger comes out and he realizes, oh, I made it. And he was like, there's something about that transition that actually changes his headspace. No, that makes sense, though, especially because obviously, mm -hmm. obviously the whip is not something he's preferring for himself. Right. So it's clearly in service for you on some level. But as a result, I can see where that would put him in that space. Mm -hmm. Because he's very actively going into a full submissive mode in his head. 
because it's for your it's pure service right exactly Exactly. it's pure service and and he says that because i'm he's um because he's a mary submissive right right um he and his wife are switches and so I have always made it very clear I want his wife to come first, even within our di- dynamic. I always defer no, to his wife. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right? Not a total asshole. Um, in that regard, his headspace is obviously different with her. It's more sexual. You know, that with me, sense. it's not because we don't go there. Right. And it's, you know, so we do a lot of public play. It's almost exclusively public play at this point. And so his headspace is different with me. But he's also learning that he can have these different headspaces and still have a great time. You know, he, he, he already was separating sex and BDSM, which a lot of subs can't do. Um, well, no, because a lot of them are introduced to it through an intimate partner. So mm-hmm. the sexual components so it's are tied together. your equation. Yeah. And that is one of the weirdness things that happen with public play. You know, a lot of people don't understand that it's not, it still is intimate without being as sexual. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. To some people, feels like cheating. (laughs) Oh, some people it is. It absolutely Mm -hmm. is for some. Depends on your negotiation, and Mm -hmm. that's why I stress to people that are like that: like, be sure to negotiate that when you meet someone and want to play with them. If it's going to bother you if they play with someone else, make it clear when you talk to them, so that if that's not something they'll be comfortable with, they can talk about it, or you're not comfortable with. It's not a blind side when they're comfortable with it right? because it can happen. Right. And I've, I've seen the other end of that always to the end because we've talked before about how non-sexual, you know, non-sexual dynamics and play partners, in fact, are often more pure because yes. the sexuality of the component isn't muddled into it because that mm-hmm. changes so mm-hmm. much. Oh, yeah. But I've seen the other side of that where they new young hopeful finally getting his hands on, <laughs> you know, a private partner or whatnot and then they went to do a public scene together after you know probably a few weeks playing together separately in their own Mm -hmm. spaces as that goes oh yeah and there was a moment and thankfully it was in a a site where you know people would be unclothed anyway and whatnot so the nudity wasn't an issue but in the middle of him he had swapped her over to do some breast torture and at the end of it he dropped his pants oh he was just in the moment couldn't help himself it's what they were used to just okay time has taken over he's got his lust going this has made him hot and to his credit he realized what happened before yeah he immediately turned beat red grabbed his pants stepped back (laughs) apologized to those that saw which most of us thought it was more amusing than a problem I mean, part of me is like, that's so hot you got caught up in the moment. Right. But also part of me is horrified that you got so caught up in the moment you lost sight of what you were doing. It's like a half seat. Oh, right. Exactly. (laughs) But that's why I was glad it was at least a a situation where nudity was normalized because it was that kind of event space where it's least, okay, if pants come off, it happens. Nobody's going to bat an eyelash. You've already knew that when you walked in the door. Because you do have, like, display scenes and demo scenes where people do have to be unclothed for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. So often those play spaces need to have that in the first place. But it doesn't even then usually turn sexual, because that's not the point of most of those spaces. They're public. You know, and while I have been to and seen event spaces that are more mixed, shall we say, where, Mm -hmm. you know, it will have a swinger party one day and then a scene party the next. (laughs) Because they 
have no problem with the interchange. That's a little different, though. And that's also not common at all. It's actually very uncommon, at least in my experience. And I think it should be, because I, I respect the need and use for those spaces. But I, I personally think that dungeon spaces should be separated that way. I think the nudity and the sexuality should be separated from the play. Just because it's in a public setting where you do have to have a different sense of decorum in the way you carry things. Well, and I think not only the sense of decorum, but again, it's you're trying to normalize what people are seeing in that space when people are new to the space. Like, where I'm at, I deal with so many people that are coming in that have never been in a play space. So they yes. don't know what they're seeing. They can't pick it apart. And so for me, I, I, and again, because I play, I do play, I mean, I play with everybody equally. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity sadist. But because of some of the Dom-centric events that I run, um, I do tend to play with a lot of cis men. And it, it's like, especially the younger guys come in and they're like, um, do, do I really have to take my clothes off? No. I can play with you just as well. It's going to change how I play. It it doesn't make it more or less because you have your clothes on. Right. And that's one of the things that I've wanted to normalize is I I hate the trope. That's, this is my soapbox for the day. I hate the trope of the femdom having the naked boys running around like a stable servicing them. That's not normal. No, it's not. It's not, not common. In fact. in fact, it's usually it's the porn. other way around. It is. It's completely porn. And it's based on a porn reality. And so I find that a lot of guys that have been diving headfirst into femdom porn, they're the ones that show up and they think, oh, I have to be naked. And it's like, I prefer that you're not naked. You know, whether it's a jock, underwear, whatever, like keep something on. Because the other thing too is, I'm not going to fuck you. Right. So by, and it's, and this is just purely within me, by having you keep your underwear on, unless we're doing CBT, I don't need to see it, you right. know, no, and there, there's also the hygienic factor, you know, mm-hmm. leakage is a thing. Yes. I don't, I'm not stepping in it. I'm not cleaning it up. That's yours. Well, and that so by keeping underwear on, I'm minimizing so. that. Exactly. It's not the point of what we're doing. And so like that, that happened to me last night. I was playing and, and the guy was like, is it okay if I keep my clothes on? Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep your clothes on. I, I don't need to see you naked. That's not why I do this. I'm getting my, my jollies off of hitting you, not right. off of seeing your naked body. Same. What mm-hmm. I find ironic, though, is the opposite of that. The heteronormative tropes, like we were just talking yeah. about, like we started with that. I find it amusing because it is often the male subs that want to keep their clothes on. Whereas most female subs and bottoms enter the arena for the first time when they're new and don't know any better yet, often mm-hmm. are expecting to get laid. And I find that interesting that that is actually a common theme. Not all the time, mm-hmm. but especially the younger ones, it, it's part of their makeup. They can't help themselves. And mm-hmm. I have more than once had to negotiate and tell them to keep their clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they were like, wait, so we're not having sex? I'm like, no, I wasn't planning <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bonus if you want to, but. Negotiation, because then it's like, well. You know, now you have to reassure them it's not because you don't find them attractive or they're not sexy <laughs> in any way. It's that I didn't plan to fuck you just because. Right. Because they don't understand that part of it yet. Mm-hmm. Again, coming from if their experience has been dominant porn, 
which well, and I've found a lot of it too is does happen. But some of it too is the people that come into BDSM from the swinger culture. Yes, absolutely. because nudity is very normalized in those circles, right? You know, and but but you're right. I've I've had that that too, where it's like you're you're getting set up, you've negotiated, and you're like, okay, you know, step up to the cross. Let me know when you're ready. Next thing you know, you turn around and they're all they're completely naked, and you're like, well, what the fuck just happened? Oh, it has happened, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, that was the fastest I've ever seen someone strip, and you didn't have to do any of that. Right. And then they look at you like, oh, my God, did I fuck up? And you're like, no, you didn't mess up. I just I I didn't expect that. Is in my early 20s, you know, as a as a young hormonal male, like anyone of that, you know, age and persuasion, you know, I didn't mind it so much because like, ooh, she got stripped without me even saying something. This is great. Mm -hmm. But it was different then. And I also saw things differently then, not because I was immune so much as I was not as leaning into my kink as much as I was just being a guy. Sure. And I have no problem owning up to that. It's what happens when you're 21 years old, you're, you know, you get set up to beat the hell out of someone and they're naked in front of you. Of course it's nice. You know, I'm not going to pretend it wasn't, but I very quickly realized that that wasn't what did it for me anyway. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the whole dominance tend to be a commodity in their own capacity, especially femdoms as we've talked before. I don't need to screw everybody I hit. And often I don't want to. (laughs) That's true. That's not the component for me, whether it's because I was raised in a leather setting, whether it was my own sensitivities or proclivities, I don't know. Mm. But I've never been, oh, I must beat you. So now I must fuck you. Like, no, no, actually, Mm -mm. that's not two of the same thing. They can be. If I'm they don't have to go together. Intimate partner already, and it may lead that way. That's different, but those are private and usually happen differently, mm-hmm. as they should. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. But I have absolutely had to sit down and have the conversation with a young female sub in my in my younger years when they happen more often. Where I sat down, I was like, "Look, it's literally not you. I promise. I don't think you're unattractive. I don't find you on you know." It's literally that that is not the point. So let's talk about that. And I will sit down and we will end up having an hour discussion instead of a scene. Yeah. And they walk away better for it because now they have a better grasp of what was expected versus not versus their own perspective. And probably more importantly, they didn't immediately think that the next person they talked to was going to want to screw them too, good or bad. And I think that's an important thing for them to learn quickly for themselves, not for my sake. I think it's more of a safety thing, right? Because it's like, because kind of going back to our talk about red flags, it's like, if I'm, if I'm getting ready to scene with somebody and I'm setting up and they, they Insta strip and their first thought is, okay, you're going to fuck me because that's what this is about. That tells me your interactions have not exactly been wholesome. And you haven't been completely clean with me about it. Right. You know, and it, and a lot of it I've found is because they don't understand, like you're saying, that that's not how it's, I won't say that it's supposed to go, but that's not the normal flow of how a scene goes. Right. Especially but, in a but I found scene. it's, yeah, because not, and, and that's the other thing, not, not every venue is even sex positive. Right. Most of them aren't. And that shocks a lot of people when they go to a play space for the first time because they realize, oh, I'm, I'm not allowed to have Wait, sex. And I'm it's like, no. I'm not even take my clothes off? What the fuck? No, yeah. no, you're not. Because it really depends on what state you're in. The hell on. <laughs> yeah, it really depends on what state you're in and what's allowed, you know. Yes. And Absolutely. 
Like I, and I've, I've <laughs> I see that a lot in the parties that I run because it's, it's hilarious. You see that they're like, Oh, I, I thought we, we could have sex. And it's like, no, like I, we've joked about carrying spray bottles to spray people that are having sex. Cause it's I like, mean, stop that. <laughs> stop that. <laughs> I don't think that would be a terrible idea. That would probably be a lot less jarring for those that don't know any better or can't help themselves at first. <laughs> Well, and it's, and that's kind of <laughs> extremely effective. Douse the cold water. Yeah. Make sure it's ice water. Yep. Oh God. But no, it's, I, I think there are so many people out there that don't understand the way that they're engaging in BDSM is predatory. Now there's always going to be those that know they're predatory and they're okay with it. But like, I'm speaking more specifically to the people that were taught that this was normal BDSM and they don't realize that they're being predatory. They don't realize that they're yes. pushing their kinks off on people. And no, so that's usually the last thing they want anyway. They just don't mm -hmm. know any better yet. Well, and that's the hard part because then you start, you know, you, you get to where they meet somebody like us and they're like, oh yeah, we want to have a scene and they expect it to go that way. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's almost more of a mind fuck that they're not getting laid. Yes. It's more of a mind fuck that you don't want to see them naked mm. and it throws them into a completely different headspace. And to me, the, the recovery time for that and the reassurance and stuff like that is actually shorter, but it takes them longer to ease into whatever physical activity is happening. Yes. I will say that like they, they recover because the social graces were all taught, right? Like they, yeah. they pick up on the social cues of it and recover. But once you actually start playing, I find that they take them a little bit longer to ease into the proper headspace for them to realize like, no, that you really are okay. And I really am happy playing with you still. And it's, okay and then once they relax, get, it's great. You know, and I've, I've had those conversations where sometimes it doesn't end up being a scene afterwards as a result because mm -hmm. It took long enough, and it was better for it to be a discussion anyway. Mm -hmm. But when it has come back to a scene, often I've I've had to have the discussion of, no, no, it is okay that you're aroused. You're not like, I'm not going to look at you funny for being excited. This is a sexuality. That's why we do this. <laughs> yeah, it is sexually charged. You're not wrong for feeling this way. Don't mm -hmm. misunderstand me. Your feelings are 100% valid. But it's about realizing that that doesn't mean you should rip your clothes off and expect at least from me so because i play with penis having folks that is actually the number one question i get they're like is it okay if i show that i'm aroused and i'm like well can you control it completely and, you know, they kind of look at you like, no, of course not. <laughs> well, then why are you asking me that? Like, I'm sorry, if I'm playing with somebody and they're not aroused in the slightest, that's a problem. I, you should be somewhat turned on by what we're doing. You know, it doesn't mean that I expect you to be, you know, making a puddle on the floor or, you know, air humping. But I do expect to see some signs of arousal, you know, some signs that you're in it, you know. And it's, it still amazes me how much shame people have around their bodies and that, that type of a response. Um, likewise, being a sadist and I play with fear a lot, it's also right. fun to see the arousal that happens with extreme fear. <laughs> and no, and that, at that, especially with men, that's, that's actually super fun. But Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> women, I think, are more attuned to it, but men, you know. And have a harder time digesting that one. They're like, I am so terrified right now and I'm oddly aroused. I don't understand what's happening. 
Yeah. I'm like, no, no, this is where I want you. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize scarousal really is a thing. <laughs> like, it so sounds hot. silly and we joke about it and we have a laugh about it. But fear uh, eroticism mm -hmm. really is a thing. And it's a thing that a lot of people don't realize is associated with itself, which is why a lot of horror mm -hmm. movies end up with people being sexually charged, not mm -hmm. just on screen, but off screen. Yeah, there is a component to that. And a lot of it ties into things like CNC and other assorted. Mm -hmm. um, but it does let me bring up, because we're still on the subject matter and sexuality. Someone asked a very good question about what's your view on the difference between arousal and sub slash dom space? Where sex not being allowed oh. at venues is A-OK, -okay, but how do you differentiate between someone being into a scene versus just being aroused? That's For me, that's actually easy to spot. And I don't know if it's just because I'm empathetic enough that I pick up on it better. Um, I will say that my womanness helps with it. No, that's it, Well, and, and I'm not saying this as a femdom, like, go, oh, no. I'm going to, you know, slam men for a minute. But honestly, like, men are not as adept necessarily at picking that stuff apart because they tend to focus on different things. I think being a woman and being a dominant... I separate that stuff out a lot faster. I see it for what it is, I think, a lot faster. Um, for me, you can, I'm sorry, like bodies give away things. They do. And You're when right. somebody is just aroused and enduring something, you can tell. Enthusiasm's oh, yeah. not there. You know, you can see that they're not in subspace. They don't get floaty. They don't have that the the stupid grin on their face. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're not drooling. They're not doing any of those things that shows that they're in an altered state of mind. Right. When somebody is aroused. There's an intensity there, mm. and it's different. Oh, you know definitely. that that, and I think that's typically what I. Uh, but it's kind of the same goes for myself. Like for me, when I'm in top space, I'm not necessarily aroused. Right. You know, I I can't say like. Is there an arousal component to it? Yes. It's an well, intelligent I mean, arousal. It's not exciting or we wouldn't do it, but. Sure. <laughs> but, but again, I'm not creating a puddle in my pants because I got to beat somebody. Exactly. I'm, that comes later. For me, that sets in after. Same, actually. <laughs> it, yeah. It, 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 no, but it really does. It, I don't, because even times when I've had those sexually charged scenes where I am able to have sex um, or do sexual type activities, um, it, it doesn't all blend together for me in my mind. I try to make it blend for my bottoms. Um, mm -hmm. oh, me, no, I, I think it's because, go ahead, go ahead. because you still have to separate it out, right? Because I'm still so hyper-focused on my bottom and what I'm doing that I honestly can't let that part of me go because mm -hmm. that's when it's dangerous. So, you know, so for me, it is very separate, but I know. And with intimate partners in intimate settings, um, it can blend a little more freely. But I also see, and I see it more with, with um, subs, more than male subs, because there's a lot of BDSM play where moms whip out vibrators constantly. Yeah. No, and it's, and it's so the orgasm becomes the reward for the end of the scene. Like, oh, you were such a good girl. Here's your orgasm. And I'm like... To me, it's really cringy when I see every time a Dom plays, because it, it's always the same men. Every time that Dom yeah. plays, the Hitachi comes out, and I'm like, fuck your one-trick pony. I, like, 
I hate to say it because I'm not trying to call out anyone specifically. And I don't mean individual people. I mean types. Um, but I, ironically, I found that rope tops tend to be more often in that category. Not all of them by any stretch, but for some reason, if they do suspension, a frequent number of male tops will absolutely be that way. And I, I don't know how many I've lost track of absolutely bring a Hitachi with them to work, so to speak. With yeah. fail. And they're like, mm -hmm. I won't touch you. I'm like, yeah. Then why do you have it? I plan to touch them directly, but it's still the same right. thing with your Hitachi as far as I'm concerned. You're using it as a pseudo penis. And they're it, not discussing, Just be honest. You know, and yeah, you may negotiate it and that's, you know, if they agree to it mm -hmm. and that's consensual, that's fine. But, but it wasn't theirs. Mm -mm. And I do see a difference with that personally. Um, I do too. Because that tells you that they were not coming there with the intention to do that. Right. Exactly. Well, so why would you, you know, why would you push it someplace that doesn't need to go? No, I agree. 100%. Yeah. That to me is something that's negotiated way in advance, not because mm -hmm. my thing is like pickup play is a prime example. If I'm doing pickup play with someone, unless they point blank say, I want CBT, I want nipple torture, I want something on my labia, I'm not going in those directions. Right. I don't fucking know you <laughs> no exactly and even if it's i've had pickup play with a you know once upon a time with someone that i would qualify as a semi-regular pickup partner where i didn't really interact with them outside of dungeons but i did interact with them at dungeons mm -hmm. more often than not at least every couple of weeks to a month or so but that's still different because you've gotten to know that person to some extent though not nearly enough for me to be comfortable making it sexual Right. But by then you right. have some idea of what you're both into, not into where your limit mm -hmm. points are. Um, and it goes back to what, you know, I totally agree with you in that as a guy, specifically as a guy top, even with my experience and whatnot, I'm only just in the last 10 years or so, in the last time of being seen when versus my 20s, when I was mm -hmm. less inclined or less capable. I didn't pick up on those things as easily as I do now. And the difference between arousal versus space. I that find makes it sense. easier now because I have a much better time reading body language, people, reactions, etc. So let me so let me ask you this. This is something that I'm finding. How much of it is that you're actually more adept at picking up body language versus you're now mature enough that you have your own body in check? A little of both. Um, you know what I mean? Like, because oh, no, there's totally. a lot of maturity that comes with both of that. And I find that and this is not to say that, that younger dominants can't do the same thing. They absolutely can. Right. But I find that younger folks are more sexually motivated unless sex oh, is just not a thing for them. Well, I think you, a lot you know. of that is the hormonal parts of, you know, anybody who knows their 20s, like we like to call them feral, <laughs> you know, with a good mm -hmm. reason, though. Because it is kind of feral. You can't help yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, the hormones are charged. It's already a sexuality active activity. Mm -hmm. So it is understandable. All the hormones are flowing. The juices are flowing. It's hard not to feel like you shouldn't shut them down. Okay. And I do understand it more so now than I did then. But even then I was mm -hmm. starting to. Um, and I say, I say for myself a little differently because... I had the advantage of having worked in private contract security for so many years mm -hmm. where behavioral psychology became a pastime above and beyond having nothing to do with kink, nothing to do with, you know, 
even profession requirements sometimes, but it mm-hmm. did play into what I did for a living. And as someone who's been in that sure. sector, you understand. Mm-hmm. But it did absolutely help speed the process. And I know many doms today, even of my age group, male doms who are not as in tune with that because they just haven't had a reason to. And they're sometimes they're just fed by a sexually charged submissive that keeps them from worrying about it, too. And I'm Mm -hmm. not judging that in and of itself. It's that I understand why. Well, the other thing, too, though, you know, and this plays into it as well. The simple fact is when somebody is aroused, they experience pain differently. And they can often experience greater amounts of pain. And so for so many people, once those connections start being merged in their brains, yeah. they cannot take pain without some type of sexual gratification to, to kind of like wire that together. They just can't. Like, their bodies are not wired to accept pain of any amount without some kind of sexual stimulation. No, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. And I've seen it in action, so I can see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, it's because, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, edging. I'll use edging as a prime example. You can, the, the dangerous part of it is you can absolutely manipulate somebody to the fullest degree when you're edging them. Because there's a, a, a kind of like a level of desperation that sets in, which is why we edge people. It's fun. Oh, absolutely. But <laughs> that during that that phase when they, you know, the begging starts and you know the air humping and all that kind of stuff, and you're like, haha, you're so turned on. This is great. You'll do anything I want. And you're whimpering and craving. Oh yeah. Because it's hot. Clearly frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, it's so hot. That's why we do it. It's hot as shit. Fuck yes. But it's also what I will call the ultimate responsibility as a top dominant kind of sets in during that same time period because you realize you're fully open to suggestion at that stage yes and what i have noticed is that's usually when they'll start trying to expand the negotiation that had happened pre-scene and that's i've especially and and again it's probably my dom-centric you know proclivities but I, that's when I literally find most people are like, literally, I will do anything, do anything you want to me. It's absolutely fine. And I'm like, we didn't negotiate that. I don't care. Hit me harder. No, I don't, I don't care. It's fine. It's fine. You know, you can insert whatever. No, no I'm, I'm fine. Like, no, especially during CBT, they'll, they'll come up with crazy shit. Like, no, 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 it's okay. You can, we can do urethral sounding. It's fine. Just let me come. No, yep. the answer is no, you know. And so it gets, to me, it gets very dangerous very quickly when people get into that mindset because they've got that such a strong association with BDSM and sex yes. that they're very, very open to suggestion. And, you know, in the moment, they'll get real frustrated. Sometimes they'll yell at you and cuss at you and get so pissed off. But post-scene, when you're like, so do you understand why I didn't do any of those things that you asked me for? Almost always, they're like, yes, I do. Uh, you know, I was I was straying into crazy town because I was so aroused and you yeah. you had been edging me for 45 minutes. And and it's like, right. But do you understand why I didn't do that? Like, we didn't negotiate that. I'm not OK with it. You know, I'm not going to manipulate you that way because I'm not comfortable with it. Like, I can be a raging asshole, but I'm not that kind of an asshole. Right. Where the consent violations typically spawn from is when people are in those states of mind. And, and not even 
being edged, but I'm using that as like an example. But no, like, it's a great example because it's it's yeah. something that I find, and everybody has their own school of thought on it. Um, I know I've voiced my my opinions on mental conditioning and command triggers and mm -hmm. conditioning and all of that before. And I do have very strong opinions on it, not because I'm against it, but because I believe in the responsibility of it needing to be at a high, high level. Um, ironically, I find edging to be even more dangerous between intimate partners than I do in a public space. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because in a 100%. public space, most of the time, most being the key word, there's always exceptions. Mm -hmm. sure. Your sense of decorum, because there's other people watching does play its part in being a little more mindful of what you're doing on both sides of the mm -hmm. fence, but especially in the case of the top. But if it's, say, boyfriend and girlfriend or, you know, etc., and it doesn't matter who the dom is in that point, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier in your own bedroom to talk yourself into feeding that because you want to feed yes. it for yourself on some level. It's a hormonal thing. It's with mm -hmm. someone you're already sexually charged with. And, and somebody so you're already relaxed with. Plug on yourself and not be like, no, no, no. This would be bad. Don't do that. And I think it takes a bit more education and experience to learn where that cutoff point is for them. And I'm not mm -hmm. faulting anybody for it, but it's why we call them feral and why maturity <laughs> does apply a certain amount of education. And it's not well, a age I... requirement thing. It's just less likely to happen so much earlier. Um. It, yeah, because I can't even say it's a male v female thing. It's it's the, really not. No, it's not because right. I mean, I've I've seen, you know, it's not it's not gender specific by any stretch of the mean. Arousal is arousal, and it takes so many different forms. But you know, just like sex is not always you know piv. Right. But it, it's like. <laughs> I find that people that are willing to dabble in those arenas, I would call them edge players, 100% edge players. I agree. Um, but they're also the ones that I have found tend to incur consent violations. Yeah, and sometimes not even intentionally, but intent or not no. isn't the point at that point. It happens. Yeah, yeah. it does, you know. And and when I say con consent violation, I I am making a clear distinction in my mind just to share with everybody else. In my head, I mean actual consent violations, not buyer's remorse. Right. Um no, absolutely. You know, and I think that's an important If you if you negotiated stuff, you did it and the next day you're like, "God, I'm so horrified that I was that depraved or unhinged or whatever." Like, "Oh my god, I I would have never have done that had situation not presented itself it's like if that's buyer's remorse that's not actually a consent I, violation i equate that more with feral bdsm honestly <laughs> because it is yeah. it's accurate to it, it is. it's while you're mm -hmm. still learning that it is okay to feel that way i feel like a dirty little slut or i feel like a horrible monster or whatever the particular follow-up is mm -hmm. this is why the top's responsibility doesn't end with aftercare in my mm -hmm. opinion it's because you do need that for both of you not just the bottom yeah but for the top as well, if you're going through drop at that point, you need the reassurance that you're not a horrible bastard and want to hurt people for fun. <laughs> I mean, yes, you do, but you but want to the consensually. Way ethically consensual <laughs> environment, not just for the mm -hmm. hell of it. And there right. is a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk all this talk about safety and consent and everything for a reason. And it's mm -hmm. so that when we get to the good stuff, we're not carried away. We're not worried about the consequences. Mm -hmm. 
Because you shouldn't have to be in the moment. You should be able to enjoy it and not constantly knee-jerk yourself like, shit, is this right? Shit, am I doing this? And you know what? Chances are, let's be honest, a new top, no matter how well-educated, is going to have those freaking moments anyway. Mm -hmm. Especially their first public scene. They're going to have all the wonderful what-ifs. They can't help it. No experience, and it's going to be the mm-hmm. oh, God. Did I do this right? Is someone judging me? What if I did mm-hmm. it wrong? Is someone going to approach me afterwards? What if they tell me I can't come back? And it doesn't yeah. matter how good the scene is. Half the time they have that anyway. Well, and the other thing too is that it it is so subjective. Yeah, you know, that's why I tell people you can have the exact same scene three hundred times, and you're going to have three hundred different emotional responses. Yes, it's not always going to be the same, and it's and I think. You know, as women, we're hyper aware of that fact because it's going into anything sexually charged is subjective already (laughs) and based on our mood and everything else. But there's, and that's why I say there's so much physically that people are bringing to the table just negotiating. Like I've watched people, negotiation is the scene. Yes. You know, writing a contract is the scene. And they get such an arousal from that whole process that that becomes its own whole thing. And then by the time they get up to a piece of furniture to play, they've already gone through all these you know, mental gymnastics. They're already in subspace yeah. and now they're going to start playing, you know, and it's, those ones are always interesting for me to watch because it's like, they're understanding the the more intelligent side of BDSM, not just the carnal side. Right. Um, those are the scenes I actually enjoy watching. Like, and it's and it's so funny for somebody that's been in BDSM as long as we have. Like, I, I don't necessarily get a lot out of watching other people play. I really don't. It's like baseball to me, honestly. And I'm playing. I'm on the field. I can enjoy baseball. To sit down and watch a baseball game, hard pass. I feel like BDSM kind of falls into that category. <laughs> like. Something really unusual has to happen for me to be so excited that I got to watch someone play. It's just not it's not a primary thing. No, I I totally agree with that. It's not. It's not even close anymore. Um, but it's also why I think, speaking as a leather person, specifically as leather folk, mm-hmm. it's part of why high protocol matters to me, ironically enough. Yes. Is yeah. because all the Let's call it the window dressing, for lack of a better description of the words, for covering enough of them. Because it's not just high protocol. It's high protocol. It's commands. It's positioning. It's assumption of positions. It's stances. It's colors, leather, mm-hmm. clothing. All, All of, of these things that go with a scene, the dress up, so mm-hmm. to speak, whether it's actual dress up or components, are just as important for me to be in the headspace than the actual act of picking up a crop and just wailing on someone. Because don't get me wrong, I'm still a sadist. I'm still going to have fun beating ass no matter how simple the process. But I will absolutely be far more charged with all the lead up, if there is enough lead up and actual things to go with it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the nature of the beast, technically, is, you know, all the window dressing is like edging yourself to some extent. In the sense of you are leading yourself into everything mentally. And it's the yeah. mental component, not the sexual component or the physical one. Mm-hmm. 
I am unless you're into leather that way, which I am, but that's another whole Yeah, but it's separate. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's separate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. It's very separate. and I and But that separation to me is healthy. It is. And I think it... I, I don't want to say it makes you a better top because that's not entirely fair. It can. I think it helps. Mm-hmm. I think it makes you more empathetic. That, and I think it makes you... I think it changes your perspective a little bit. Because when you're not focused on, I'm going to whip it out afterwards, or I'm going <laughs> to you know do whatever with each other afterwards, or I'm going to strap them down to a Hitachi and watch them quiver until they can't see straight. When you take that part out of the equation, especially if you're taking in all the window dressing, I think your clarity and perspective is very different. Because your mm-hmm. focus is on all the trappings. It's the focus is on all the activity. Yeah. And the reactions and the behaviors and the affectations. Everything into and ending with the scene itself and not post-scene. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest part of it for me for those that are sexually involved in their scenes. And it's not that they can't be capable of that as well. I don't want to blanket state that everyone's just a sexual whore and can't pay attention to anything during a season. That's not fair. But I think if you have more sexual components in your scening, you tend to be more focused on leading to the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Because it is a Orgasm becomes the goal. With. Right. Well, right. and it goes back to everything is already arousing. That's part of the point of what we do is everything's sexy. Everything's charged. You know, I am a sexual sadist, you know, as opposed to a pure sadist in that sense where there's the distinction of sexual arousal for just enjoying it. So I do get aroused by pain and suffering. I absolutely do. Yeah. But that just means even more of the responsibility matters because I do find it easier to lead into this really does excite me on more than one level. So that Mm -hmm. self-restraint is just as important, if not more. Yeah. Because it is much easier to just be like, eh, fuck it. This is great. Because with ultimate power comes ultimate responsibility. Well, and I think it's, I won't say that it (laughs) drives a different level of depravity, because that's not accurate. I've met sadists on both sides of that board that are equally depraved. Um, But it changes how you seek them. Because I, my own seeking and my own journey into sadism has been very sexually charged as a result. Not intentionally, it's just the nature of how it affects me versus someone who wouldn't be affected by it the same way. And I think that's the other the other side to that component, actually, is part of the pain versus sexual part of it, too, is that mm-hmm. sexual charged masochists, as opposed to masochists who just appreciate pain, mm-hmm. or even more so those that don't appreciate pain but will do it in service, Yeah, I think sexual masochists have the biggest difference in their perspective because... It is by their nature. They can't help themselves. You're wailing on them. They're going to get wet. They're going to get psychotic. Mm-hmm. They're going to get aroused, <laughs> charged, lust-driven, mm-hmm. you know, broken, for lack of a better way to put it. And it puts them in subspace a lot faster in many capacities as a result, especially when they're new. Not because they're better at it or anything like that. It's not a skill set. No, they, they just have that strong of an association. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that to me is more of the intelligent side of bdsm agreed 
it's i mean it has to be well because bdsm is such a mental game like it's not if it was just purely physical everyone would do it yeah you know and it's and it's easy to say well of course people that engage in bdsm are adrenaline junkies and that's where it comes from Uh, yeah that's how it starts I, f- I think for most people, that's how it starts. It's what's the next edgier, sexier thing, right? Yeah, but I'll agree with that. when it comes to, to sexual masochism and sexual statism, this is a, a, literally a part of your psyche. It is so interwoven into what you're doing that you can't separate it out. Whereas I think people, that, by and large, the mainstream group of people that engage in BDSM are not necessarily wired that way. They're oh, doing absolutely. it for the adrenaline. You're doing it for, you know, and now I will say post-COVID what I'm finding is people are being driven to BDSM for the intimacy yes, more so than anything else. It's, it's a way to, especially when you talk about pickup play, right? It's a way of having very minimal investment, very minimal involvement, still a sense of intimacy that gives you buzzing like a great first date or a great romp in the sheets. You know, they, they leave having... That kind of a charge and so like you're to me that's why i'm saying it's it's intellectual because it very much is in the brain it's not it has nothing to do with sex oh, on, on a pure level and those are the people and i find too the people that come back for more and and find that bdsm is not something that they can necessarily walk away from are the ones that have that emotional investment and aren't just looking for an adrenaline rush you know but there's also and it's funny because I, I see it a lot, um, you know, having run a lot of different play spaces. You see the people that I'll, I'll say engage in performative BDSM because they like being seen, but they don't recognize that they're exhibitionists. Right. No, absolutely. They truly don't get it. And I'm, and I'm like, you're not into what you're doing at all. Like, you can tell you are not kinky, by and large. You don't like any of the physical activities. You just like being seen and having people watch you. And I'm like, do you not understand that that is your kink? And they kind of look at you like, no. And it's like, that's not shallow. That's, that's honest. It's not a shallow thing at all. You are a pure exhibitionist. That's why it doesn't matter what activity you're doing. As long as people watch you, you're getting charged from it. And I'm like, oh, I absolutely agree. that's fully valid. But, but, you know, and that's, that's kind of my other thing, too, is when, when we're talking about scening and, like, People get really hung up on the fact like, oh, I was watching this and oh, it didn't look like they were playing that hard. Well, were you in the scene? How do you know it wasn't that hard to them? It might have been very hard. You know, you don't know what the goal of their scene was. You don't know what they negotiated. That might have been the hardest scene that that person's ever experienced. Right. No. Or that person might have been brand new. So the top was trying to be careful. Yeah, likewise, you'll see some of these brutal scenes with, you know, blood flinging everywhere and, you know, people screaming and shrieking and people getting thrown over pieces of furniture. And it sounds like, you know, somebody's in an epic battle for their life. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never seen that in my life. Anyway. Never. Never. But you'll see scenes like that. And it's like, to them, that was a normal scene. Right. To everybody else, they were like, oh, my God, that was the, the harshest thing I've ever watched happen. And it was like... Not to them that's how they play that's that's their normal exactly. now so it's that's what i always tell people when you're watching scenes kind of take it with a grain of salt because you weren't you weren't there for the negotiations to find out what went into that planning right and my thing is try to enjoy the fact that two people are enjoying themselves if you're actually going to watch a scene 
really just appreciate the fact that one, they're willing to do this shit in front of you. Have an appreciation for that and a respect, right? But also just enjoy the show. Like I, I it really bothers me when people start picking stuff apart. I'm like, this this isn't the Emmy Awards. No. These people aren't putting on a performance for you, right? Just just enjoy it if you're gonna watch. You know, and that to me is also yeah. what changes people from creepy watching to what I'll call an appreciation. Right? The creepy watchers are the ones that are watching it and picking it apart <laughs> or getting sexually aroused by what they're seeing. Um and or both. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But those those tend to be the creepers, right? The ones that you're just like, Yeah, I'm not comfortable playing if that person's watching me. And it's like you know, as an organizer, when I notice that whenever somebody's around, everybody else starts putting their clothes back on, I'm like, yeah, that guy's got to go. <laughs> yeah. That's... I say guy because it's nine times out of ten, it is a man. Yeah. Um, more often than not, it, it does tend to be at least slightly more self-conscious of that particular activity in public. Anyway. They're predatory in completely different ways. <laughs> yes. No, that's accurate. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, women are predatory in completely different ways. Yes. And there's a veneer on them that you don't always catch it for what it is until it, sometimes it's too late. We're conditioned to see it in men. That's accurate, though. That's more accurate than it should be. It, um, it is. But that's the, yeah. like, I found that, you know, I didn't start finding voyeurism to be a, one of my kinks in my wheelhouse until much later in life. But it is one where I absolutely can watch the shit out of somebody else seeing and have a grand old time just appreciating the work that's somebody else feeding off each other, especially when it's done in a beautiful way. Um, one of the first, and it, it reminded me just how much I, I'm part of this lifestyle and why it matters so much to me. Right after my divorce um, mm -hmm. and separation. I attended what was effectively a newbies meeting in, in Minnesota, at least newbies for them. For me, it was like, well, it's like picking up a bike, but no one here knows me. I got to do something. Um, and there was a certain amount of pickup play. Like you could put your name in a hat, so to speak, with tops and or bottoms. And if you wanted to be matched up for a short controlled scene with moderators, you could. I elected hmm? not to, but there was a, a pair from what was the, the seminar was being held by a professional house. So completely commercialized to some extent, but in a good way. They were actually decent. Yeah, yeah. And the the very first opening was they were talking about scenes and how it broke down and consent and vetting and all of that. And they did a really good job of opening up, considering. Um, yes. But the two that they had opened up the first demo with uh, were two students of theirs who had been practicing for at least six months or so, I believe, if I remember right. And watching them feed off each other was so charged. Hmm. They were so into each other and in the scene itself and in the moment that it absolutely was like, and this is why I missed this shit. Because uh, hmm. it was absolutely a beautiful thing to watch. It was like art. It absolutely was like art. See, and that's what's so fun. Yeah. Like, it wasn't about like, I, I will say. to me. It was watching hmm. them benefit each other. Regardless of me. And that's a gorgeous thing because it wasn't the point. I wasn't part of the process and I shouldn't have been. It wasn't mm -hmm. for my benefit and it showed. And that's why I liked right. it. That's what makes it sexy. Yeah, exactly. But that but to me that is also in in a sense pure performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's 
Like, I think for me, that's why I enjoy watching BDSM performances. I'll agree with that. I think there's a huge difference as a result. There absolutely is. Because there is a difference between performance versus doing it for, you know, when two people are at a pickup play scene at a dungeon, they're doing it for them. I mean, they absolutely are doing it for them. That's kind of the point. There are two people, one wants to hit the other, whatever else they want to do, some depraved act that they both want to enjoy horribly. And they do it for them, and frequently it's not necessarily anything charged in a way where anybody's going to enjoy watching it the same way they're going to Mm -hmm. enjoy doing it. And that's kind of the point anyway, though. It's not for everybody else. It's not how pretty it looks. It's they're getting their thing. That's true. I think... Like, whether it's a demo or a performance or any of those things, because the act itself is about the performance, it's a whole different kind of appreciation. Because there's a lot more work put into it. There is. 100% there is. Not just because of the act itself. Like, obviously, they're putting on a show. They're putting, you know, the right clothing, Mm -hmm. the right outfits, the right makeup, the right lighting, etc., all the work that goes into a show of any kind. But then they have to actively be involved with each other that way for the scene as well, for it to really sell. It has to be an... Well, feeding each other, you're gonna see it. Well, so think about it like figure skating, right? Anybody who's watched figure skating can tell when the team is not in sync with each other. Right. It's the same with, with fetish performances, hands oh, down. Absolutely. If there's not some element between them to connect them, it's going to be a crappy performance. Mm-hmm. And I've watched like, it's just... that equation. I've, I've absolutely sure. watched a demo between, you know, there was a guy doing a, de- a knife play demo. And of course I'm going to that because I want to see how other people do work <laughs> and learn. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm into that. What Show me your tricks. I, I'm a, you know, I'm a dark shit motherfucker. I want to see this shit too. Um <clears throat> <laughs> but they didn't have a demo bottom that came with them. So they ended oh. up picking someone off the crowd as their bottom for the night. Uh, and they did the consent and the vetting and all the things they could. But I, in my uh, head, I'm like, that can't cringe. be good. Cringe. Sure enough, <laughs> to the bottoms credit, they were into it enough. But there was obviously a disparity <laughs> in their connection with each other. Oh, can't have a demo without it. So obvious it hurts. Look, and I felt bad for so, both of them. <laughs> but see, that's but the, therein lies. Like this is where I'll say you fucked up. <laughs> a demo still has to kind of be a show. No, I agree. I agree. A demo is not a scene. No. Fetish performance is not a scene. No. Like, no. Now, are there some fetish performances that are scenes? Like to me. The hottest fetish performances that I've watched were actually, they, it felt like, it truly looked like somebody was having an intimate moment and I was a peeping Tom. You were truly a voyeur. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the ones like, and you're shook after you watch it because you like, to me, the good performances are the ones that make you question, oh my God, should I leave the room? No, absolutely. It's very right? much because that that's it's of, like I wouldn't have seen this somewhere on mm-hmm. the camera. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. 
I feel like an interloper sitting here watching this very intimate moment because it's clear this is an intimate moment. Yes. Those to me are the performances that I want to see. And they're very few and far between. Um, the best ones I have seen did involve rope. Um, look at Dave and Clover are a prime example. Hmm. I thoroughly enjoy watching Wicked Dave tie Clover <laughs> because of how intimate it is. And it's, it's pure art. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. You know, you may not like his rope skills. You may not like him or her, whatever. But there's something in watching the two of them interact that is so fucking beautiful. You know, even when it's not blatantly sexy. But there are times that I've watched performances, and, I've, and I have gotten to see them live multiple times now. Um, but I had that moment of, God, I, should, I don't think I'm meant to see this. I don't think they realize that they got so into it that we're seeing this. They and that was beautiful. That moment of, oh God, yeah. I think I shouldn't have been yeah. here for that. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I don't think they, like they, like you can, it's almost like they forget they're on stage. And I'm yes. like, it's so beautiful that you're so wrapped up in each other and so keyed on each other. You forget that. That is a beautiful performance. Um, I've seen it with one knife demo. Most knife demos that I've seen have been trash. I'm not even going to sugarcoat no, that. They absolutely are. Um, there was one. <laughs> there was one guy I watched. That was in Florida. I guy was very well known for his knife skills. Um, so they local dungeon asked him to teach a class. So my husband and I went because it was like, hey, you know, it's, like you said, it's always cool to see other people's perspectives. Let's see right. what gear you have. And this guy had done an intro video to like introduce himself to the class and the audience. Really? And it was like Tiger King level. Oh, God. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, somebody gave Florida man a knife. Like, that. this is what I'm walking into. Like, I just, I was like, oh, what the fuck? And I paid money for this. And so we sat through the shit show because it was like, I got to see where this roller coaster goes. But at the end of that, what I took away from it was, you're into scenes completely and purely for yourself. Whoever is in front of you is a meat sack. And I lost yeah. respect for them. Because well, I was like, you're not connecting with your bottoms at all. Like, this is just pure, like, to me, it almost felt like a magic act. No, you know? absolutely. And, and I'm just like, that was so hokey. I'm done. I can't, I just can't do this. I'm out. You know, and that's, and that's kind of what killed me from watching a lot of fetish performances for a while. Because I was just no, like, I can't. Because a crap one will ruin it for you. And, and that one did. On it. That one soured me for quite quite some time. And, and even now, like, I'm just now getting back into where I'm, like, where I'm willing to actually pay to see a fetish performance. You That's know, fair. I've I've got, I'm lucky, you know, being in L.A., there's a lot of performances around. And I've got um, two really good friends that are excellent performers. And so I will go see them. Um, but other than that, I can't say that I would watch other fetish performances if I didn't actually know the people. Um, I just don't get anything from it anymore. You know, well, I can appreciate that. And I'm obviously knife play, you know, one is obviously in my wheelhouse Two, <laughs> we'll eventually cover that in another episode, but you're, mm -hmm. you're not wrong that there are for every decent knife demo person. There's easily nine times that number who are just in it to carve. Or to just have a blade in their hand. 
And unfortunately, that doesn't make for good performance. It just doesn't. Because you're not... No, it's gore for gore's sake. Well, and even if it's not gory, like, even if it's a sensation end of things, and maybe it's a non-cutting demo, which does happen too, and I've done Mm -hmm. my share of both, you know, there's a huge difference because the whole point of putting on a, a demo performance is for the audience. Like, you're not doing it for you, though obviously you want to feed your own to be a part of that, right? But if you're not doing it to feed each other and feed the crowd because you're feeding each other, it's going to be obvious with knife play. It's not something where subtlety is going to mask anything. Either it works or it won't, and it will be very painfully obvious that it doesn't. It's not something you can fake. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone can go and have a spanking demo and you can probably fake it halfway decently yes. to an extent. Because if you happen to have a really good participating bottom, it doesn't matter if you're any good as a top the same way. You can sell it better. You can't do that with knife play. You just can't. That's if very you true. you can't sell it, it's going to be painfully obvious no matter how good the bottom is. Very true. And by the Painfully same token, a crappy bottom, as it not crappy, that implies the bottom's just a terrible person. That's not what I mean. A bottom who is not prepared for a demo of that caliber, whether it's because you picked them up that night like an idiot <laughs> or similar, it's going to be just as obvious, even if you were a virtuoso of the art, because it doesn't sell to the audience when one of you is not participating. It just doesn't. There's no, oh, well, that was really, maybe they had a weak moment, but the other person picked it up. No, none of that's going to happen. It's going to be very obvious very quickly to your audience that one of you is not involved or both of you are not involved. And it immediately cheapens the entire production. And since the whole point is performance at that point, you know, it's one thing when it's in private quarters and I'm just getting out a knife and we're doing our thing. Because I don't care what other people think. That's kind of private for a reason. But if I'm putting on a show, I'm selling it to an audience on purpose. And so my entire mindset isn't just grabbing a bottom that I can play with. It's someone I can feed into and vice versa so that the audience feeds into it as well. Well, and that's that's extremely true. And it has to be separate to me. Because it's what is the purpose of the interaction? Is the purpose of the interaction to specifically teach somebody something? Are you trying to demonstrate something so that they visually get an understanding for the fetish? Or are you just indulging in it for yourself? And sometimes all three of those magically come together. Yeah. Um, not always. No. That's, I, I will say, not always. Yeah. No, and I, I don't disagree, never mind the kind of like what we started with way back in the beginning about, mm-hmm. you know, responsibility of a top. I have both been a member, you know, a participant in the party of those that do and well as watched others where I will absolutely call a demo in the middle because my bottom's having a moment where something human happened, whether it's an accident, whether they had a trauma moment, something triggered, whatever it could be. And I have absolutely cut myself in the middle and said, okay, stop. You know, forgive me, people. Give us like 10 to 15. We may be calling it for the night. I need to check in with my bottom, make sure they're okay. And that's the end of anything here from me until I check in with that person for as long as I need to. And if that means the night's over, the night's over. I don't give a damn. Yeah. 
And I don't care about the performance at that point because I'm no longer selling something, as it were. Correct. It's no longer a priority. Like, I immediately mm-hmm. shift out of focus. It's kind of like what you said about when I need that, I need more time to get back into headspace. Mm-hmm. Because I yeah, it changed. need to tune back into that person and not into what I'm doing. It's no longer the priority at all. My priority is making sure they're okay. And I have, I had one where in my late 20s, the last demo I did before I got married, actually, uh, the lady in question was a regular demo partner of mine for some time, uh, for a number of years at that point. And it was nice. And it was, you know, we got into it. The first 10, 15 minutes went by and we were feeding each other in the crowd and we started getting charged. And the first time the blade actually broke skin, apparently she had had a mugging about six months prior by knife point jesus christ yeah which i know about <laughs> but she consented and we talked it through like it wasn't something we didn't know about it and i was oh my God. careful about negotiating are you certain you want to do this yeah understand either way no matter what absolutely judgment you know me well enough by now and they thought they were comfortable <laughs> enough. And sure enough, just the first time it finally happened after so long, mm. it still brought everything back. Sure. And they, they started twitching, started crying. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, show's over, guys. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to you. Curtain we're done. Closed, you know, brought her off stage, got her cleaned up, immediately started checking in with her. And we spent two hours over coffee while she came down. Mm-hmm. And I reassured her that there was nothing wrong with her, that there was nothing wrong with what happened. You didn't do anything bad. I don't I'm not disappointed. Else is going yeah. to, you know, this is something you obviously need to attend to, and I'm here for you in any way I can be. Don't mm-hmm. ever think that this is a bad thing. Yeah. And it absolutely, it you know, someone would consider it ruined, quote unquote, the demo. As far as I'm concerned, it ended the scene because it needed to be ended. And I no yeah. cared what you thought. I had a priority. Mm-hmm. And it's to her. You got yeah. it. Rightfully so. I don't care who thought what about it at that point. I don't give two shits what you think. I'm doing my part. Because that is what responsibility matters. It's not about what you want at that point. It's about what's Mm -hmm. taking care of them. No, 100%. And that's that's kind of the other part of it for me. Is that like... It's like any performance. You don't have to sell your soul to get through it. You shouldn't. And again, being responsible... It, well, and the other thing, too, is why would you want to damage a friend? <laughs> right. It's not worth a crowd. No. Be mad. You know, be mad. I don't care. Well, and let's be honest. Any crowd that's halfway decent and aware of what they're watching should have mm-hmm. an appreciation if that moment happens. Absolutely. So that's and, kind of the point of why we do all this pre-work. <laughs> well, and one of the things that I have noticed that is different with fetish performances versus anything else is that when things go sideways, yeah, it, the uninitiated in the crowd are going to be the ones getting pissed off. Everybody else, their first question is, oh, my God, are they okay? Right. Um, because I've seen, like, rope performances go bad. Oh, of course. Um, I, was, I was watching one um, male rigger, female uh, rope bunny. And he was trying to do a suspension. And this guy was a very talented rigger. He teaches classes. He knows his shit. But it's one of those, we all have something go horribly awry at least once. Yeah. And his, unfortunately, was in front of a crowd. Ooh. He he was tying a girl and didn't have the upline secured and dropped her. Uh-oh. And broke her collarbone in front of 70 people. 
And nobody in the crowd was like, oh, fuck that guy. Everybody in the crowd was, Jesus Christ, is she okay? Of course. And, like, people rushed the stage and were like, you know, here, here's a blanket. Here's some water. Let's lay her down. Let's try to get her comfortable. And, of course, she's screaming bloody murder because it's a collarbone. Right. <laughs> and... And yeah, you know, and you know, the, the rope shears are coming out and everybody's taking turns cutting rope off this girl because everybody recognized the seriousness of the emergency. Right, as it should be. Nobody, nobody demanded a refund. Nobody was like, fuck that guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. Everybody was so focused on the rope bottom and her safety that and it did damper the night. Don't get me wrong. Like everybody else afterwards well, was pretty shook. Um, and she ended up, you know, she was okay. They got her. They got her to a hospital, and they got everything taken care of. And she had to go through her healing process. But she went back into rope. Um, she actually learned to become a rigger herself, which was really neat. Um, yeah, she she it didn't scare her away from it, which was nice. And this this yeah. was a guy that she had been tying with for several years. So it's it's one of those when it happens because it's going to happen. It happens. It happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, when when we comment in, in all the episodes anyone's ever listened to who's listened so far, when we make the comment about human moments, human moments happen. All the prep work, all the consent vetting, all the things that go with all of that that we talk about so we're blue in the face doesn't change that they can happen. But the whole point of all of those things, the red flagging, the negotiation, the contracts, is so that when they happen nobody's focused on it in a negative sense. Everyone's worried about handling it to the best of everyone's well, ability yeah. to be healthy. Because that is you the don't... point, is to have fun. And when it doesn't get to be fun, when something goes awry, the focus isn't, oh shit, something went wrong. It's how do we make sure we take care of this so it's not an issue. And that is how it never... the focus. Because it should never devolve into check out our stupid human tricks. Right. No, I feel no, like a lot never, of performances kind of go that way. I'm stupid yeah, when it's... tricks happen, and God knows they're going to happen in event spaces mm-hmm. all the time anyway. But those are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that happen no. before, after. It should never happen during. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we actually actively fight against. Is those things. So that when the human things happen... They happen, we deal with it, we move on. Everyone makes sure everybody's on the same page, and you go forward as grown-ups. Yeah. Because you don't want it to ruin the experience or cheapen it, or worse, as we have talked about more than once, ruin someone's appreciation for kink to the point where they feel they shouldn't be in it. Yeah. And that's an easy hurdle to cross as well, especially in those moments. And all it takes is an irresponsible top... A crappy mod, you know, any of those things that we keep harping on that can happen. The reason we harp against them happening is because they can absolutely destroy someone's opinion and perspective. And no one wants that. No one wants someone's journey cut short because of a bad moment. Because bad moments are going to happen. It's how they are coped with, how they are handled as mature adults that makes the difference in your journey and their journey and everyone else's journey. So, so since we've come come full circle to that part, how do you end a scene? How do you, how do you like to? And I'm not talking about aftercare, obviously. No. Obviously. How how do you how do you start 
wrapping things up on a scene to, to let your bottom know, like, hey, we're coming to a conclusion? Largely, it depends on what we're in the middle of. Um, a large part of that is relative to who, like, who I'm with, you know, kind of like the beginning. It's about spaces, private space versus public, who I'm doing with, what kind of play it is. But there's always a cooldown. There's always a cooldown. There has to be. Mm -hmm. Because you've just beat this person into submission, so to speak, in more ways than one. They're flying or floating or, you know, broken or any of those combinations. You know, they're not seeing straight. Their eyes have rolled back. They're twitching. Whatever it happens to be. In a positive sense, obviously, or we wouldn't be getting this mm -hmm. far. Sure. The cooldown period is just as important. Bringing them back down to reality. So that the drop portion of, if there's any drop, is as mild as you can possibly get it to be, within reason. Because you can't, as we've covered in the drop phase of things in that episode, it can still happen if it's intense enough. But trying to do your best to minimize it is just as important. And it's mm -hmm. good for yourself as well, because I think it's just as important to bring yourself down as well as your partner. Because the last thing you want to do is still be flying in Dom space and have that. Oh, wait, we stopped. <laughs> yeah. Because somewhere your brain is going to be like, the hell is wrong with you? Um, but no, I think come down is just as important as start up. And it doesn't matter what kind of play it is. Like it, knife play can go back to sensation play. Impact can come back to a lighter tool or implement or less force. You know, there's there's a variety of ways that works. But I think right. that come down point, that lessening of force, that lessening of intensity is just as important as the ramp up. At least to me. That makes sense. I was just curious how you viewed that, because a lot of people really view scenes as beginning, middle, end. Yeah. And I and I had a feeling your your view on that was a little different. So that's what I wanted to hear. No, I appreciate that. It's my. It, it's it's nice to know that other people agree that it doesn't have to be so rigid. I don't think it should be. I think it should be organic. I think it makes it more pure in a lot of ways because it doesn't matter how you start and end. Like as far as I'm concerned, like I said before, the the moment a scene starts is when you both effectively agree to and consent to what's going to happen. It doesn't start when you actually get them on the table or get the clothes off, strap them to the cross, whatever it's going to be. It doesn't start then. It starts before that because you already know what you're both planning to do. So it's all about getting into that headspace, whether it's you talk about it first or you discuss tools first after you've already decided on what isn't on the table. What do you want to start with? Or, you know, do you have a preference in how you start? All of those things are part of that, too implementing all of those things counts so do you want to wear this is this better for you do you feel more comfortable if you're aimed this way mm -hmm. all of those lead-ups before you even get down to brass tacks to warming up but by the same token on the other end of it come down there's a point where you have to actually stop for it to be the end so cool down is important but also having that point of i do believe in the sense of okay we're you know i may not say we're done i may in a public space with someone who's new because they obviously wouldn't know my mannerisms the same way 
Mm-hmm. But that the act of putting down the tools of coming over the person with both hands and checking in actively, not just mm-hmm. for that couple of moments, the, the very clear, okay, we're done. Now we're going to see to how you're handling things. Yeah, like how are we doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be as, oh, she's not so bad to, okay, let me go get the blanket right now. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's all relative from there for that next period of, you know, however long you plan to stay exactly in each other's space. Because aftercare can be as simple as for the next 10 minutes or for the next three days relative mm-hmm. to what you need. And that's why I say it should be organic because it may take a couple of days to come down all the way. And oh, you yeah. might need to hear from you that entire time just to be sure that they aren't being used or feel like they're being misabused or abusing you you instead or any number of those combination of things. Having that check-in with you the entire time they're coming down can matter for some people too. Not everybody. Some people don't need it. But A lot of people don't need it. Right. I, I, well, more often I find that it's... It's still so subcentric when you talk about those kind of check-ins that, right. like, it, no, it is. I don't know. And a lot of that is because I haven't found as many doms need it the same way. That's true. But by oh, the same true. token, when I think I do, if I know the scene is intense enough, I will point out. I will probably need you to check in with me in a couple of days, and just remind me that you actually had fun. And that'll be as simple as it is. I don't need you to hold my hand, come over and cuddle me with hot chocolate. I don't need a warm blankie. I, you know. But I do need to know that you weren't horrified by what I did to you. If it's intense enough. And even that doesn't happen as much as it used to. And I think part of that is just maturity on the journey. You know, you reach a point where you mm-hmm. have some sense of yourself, for lack of a better way to put it. Where... If I call you in two days, it's not because I'm afraid you're dropping to the point where I need to reassure you. It's just to make sure that you're comfortable and how you feel about doing it again someday or what I could have done differently. But that's just check in for myself and for my ability to improve in the future as much as it is anything else. But I still consider that part of it. That's fair. I think a lot of people consider aftercare to be the be all end all and then we're done and you don't talk to each other again. Well, because I think for a lot of pickup play, stop there. Yes. And, and rightfully so. Like, I've, I kind of feel like it should, right? Because pickup play is its own animal. But no, I agree. You do pickup play and you, and you do aftercare and you finish it up and you're like, all right, that was awesome. See you later. Bye. In a sense, a lot of people have the idea that your obligation to that other person has been met. Right? It's, it is not common still for whatever reason it's just not common to have tops and dominance who check in the next day or check in a week later or even say hi a month later unless they want to play again it's, it's very much fueled by do i want to play with you again and if the answer is no honestly other than the cursory hellos that when they see each other again there may not be any more exchanges so it's very transient in that regard um you know, no, it's I, I th- and there's nothing wrong with that. No, because but but that's the thing is it really is usually predicated on do I want to touch that person again? And if the answer is no, then all right, cool, high five, go about your day. Um, right. But I think too, intensity of play is what matters with that. That's, I would say that would be the other factor, right? Because the more intense the play, the more 
check-ins and aftercare that person may need. Right. Um, like I, I will say this, like I tend to check in more with newbies than I do yes. experienced players because I expect the experienced players to be able to self-advocate better. Yes. Which I know is probably oh, not always accurate. No, but it, um, there's nothing wrong with having some degree mm -hmm. of that sense, but that's a lot of that it's different. is negotiation. Like I won't just mm -hmm. inherently call you three days later. Like I will mention like, Hey, so what we're doing is kind of intense. This is what I normally do for that. Is that something you're comfortable with or prefer? Would you rather we not? And what would is you that something you even need? Right. Because there's nothing wrong with saying, no, I'm going to be good. Don't worry about it. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. As yeah, I'm fine. That's what you want. I'm fine with that. I'm just making mm -hmm. sure. But that's why we decide that beforehand, not in the middle of. Because mm -hmm. I And I am picky about that. I am too. But it's also because I found I've I've had to teach a couple of male doms in my 20s who would do that the same way where they would do the follow up and whatnot, but they wouldn't mention it during negotiation. And what would end up happening is they'd come across mm. very needy. Which was not or worse, it comes across creepy to be accommodating. Yeah, but the other the other and I will say this, and it's it is something unique to heterosexual dynamics. It is. It absolutely it, is. Because it because it, it is if if the if the male dom checks in the next day it's like are you pressuring me to play again because your first thought is never genuineness and it's and no. it is a shitty state of our society but because even for me like when I was when I was bottoming and I was identifying as a submissive I would play with a guy and if I got a message the next day it's almost like dating culture it's like is he trying to get with me because I would never take it at face value. Unless we had negotiated that prior. Well, and that's why like it just didn't register. Mm -hmm. And that's why it matters so much. Like, I I very much have a similar mindset in that if it's somebody who's maybe been in a year, six months, mm -hmm. a couple of years, while six months or less, I will be more inclined probably not to play with you in the first place these days. Um, If it comes up for whatever reason, I will absolutely negotiate with a bit more clarity of what my follow-up could look like if you are comfortable with it or what you would prefer i give them more prompts so to speak whereas someone who's been in 10 15 20 years i'm not going to prompt you the same way in negotiation because i expect you to be able to communicate with me clearly enough so that if that's what you want or don't want and it's not part of my inherent responsibility i'm not going to chase it the same way i'm going to be you know more inclined to leave it where it is on pickup play but I will also point, you know, I've had that case where I actually had a, I won't call them a clinger because that's not fair, but <laughs> we played together and they actually got upset that I mm -hmm. didn't do like the three day later call follow up. I mean, I followed aftercare and everything else as I would, but I, you know, didn't. And then they caught me on the next time we were at an event and they were like, why didn't you call me? I'm like, because you didn't tell me you wanted me to. And I made it a point that to give you the opportunity. There's a reason we were prompted during negotiation for you to tell me if you wanted something like that. And you've been in the game long enough that I expected you to be able to clearly enunciate that to me. Not because I, you know, felt you were insulted or anything else. It's because if you didn't tell me that's what you wanted, I didn't assume you wanted it. We don't know each other like that. Mm-hmm. 
But for someone who's new enough, I absolutely will be more clear about, okay, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to keep it simple? You know, they still have the ultimate say of what they want that to look like. But I'm more inclined to prompt them to think about it. Because I don't expect someone who's got like a year of experience to know fully what they're expecting yet. And certainly not in pickup play. Mm -hmm. But it's also relative to intensity that way. Because someone who's looking for a light spanking, obviously, I'm not as worried about it. <laughs> well, and you shouldn't be. No. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, there's because, again, there's there's a level of personal responsibility there. Right. Exactly. I agree. Well, and that goes back to ethical communication. If you aren't talking to me the way you need to. Yeah, I'm going to negotiate a little harder in terms of prompts to answer me. Mm -hmm. But that's also why I'm less inclined to be negotiating with someone who's so inexperienced that they can't clearly enunciate anything. Yes. But that's another day. <laughs> <laughs> Very so, true. Coming full circle and wrapping up, do you have any final thoughts, questions, death threats? No, I, I like your submissive too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world of her, so the answer is no. No. Um, no, I get. I think we covered things pretty well. Like we had all the keynotes that we wanted to. So, uh, oh, I'm I'm pretty content. Sounds absolutely the same for me. <laughs> Alrighty, well, everybody, thank you for coming. Those that are listening in the audience, for those that will listen in the future, thank you so much for listening too. Because you matter just as much. We're doing this for you guys. Otherwise, <laughs> have a wonderful day. Goodbye.